Why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? I think that's a good question in light of the statement from the text in John 12 earlier today. They believed, that is, the Jews that were questioning Jesus, believed that the Old Testament taught that the Christ was to remain forever. Christian comes from the word Christ, and I think initially, as being raised a Roman Catholic, serving Mass as an altar boy, falling asleep when I was supposed to be ringing the bells and all that stuff, I figured Jesus was his first name and Christ was his last name. You don't have to put your hand up if that's what you thought. Um, it's probably what many of us thought, though. What's his first name? Jesus. What's his last name? Christ. Well, his given name is Jesus, and period. Christ is a title. Even Jesus has a unique meaning to it. Uh, but Christ is a title that Jesus took upon himself, but he borrowed it from the Old Testament. This language... Uh, Christ can also be called the anointed one. Now, that might not help 21st century, 21st? Are we in the 21st century? Wow. 21st century years, uh, because both Christ and anointed still need to be defined. Why? What does it mean to be the Christ? It means to be the anointed one. Next question. Well, what does it mean to be the anointed one? Well, it means to be the Christ. No, you don't. You don't define words that way, right? Like, like develop the meaning a little more. Well, here's what one catechism says in an answer to that question. Because he was ordained of the Father and anointed of the Holy Spirit, the chief prophet and teacher who has opened unto us the secret counsel and all the will of his Father concerning our redemption. He was ordained and anointed the high priest, who with that one only sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and continually makes intercession to his father for us. He was also ordained and anointed a king who rules us by his word and spirit and defends and maintains that salvation which he has purchased for us. Now, I'm not going to ask you to repeat that, but you could hear the constant use of the word anointing, the endowing or an endowment upon Jesus, giving him the right, uh, the authority, and the power to fulfill a given vocation or calling or office. It's very important. There's none like Jesus, and unlike Jesus, we can't do what Jesus did. Heaven hasn't appointed us to that task, but heaven has, God, has appointed Jesus to the task of being the Christ the specially anointed or equipped servant to fulfill all righteousness, to bring many sinners and sons to glory. From the question itself, who is, uh, why is he called Christ, that is, anointed? We learn that Christ means anointed, but we might ask the question, anointed by whom and for what purpose? Because it's one thing for me to anoint somebody, but which, by the way, I have anointed somebody with oil and prayed for their healing. Don't faint. It's okay. It's one of the legitimate interpretations of James chapter 5. But it's one thing for me to grab some olive oil and put it on somebody's head and pray for them. It's quite another thing to say that he was ordained, anointed, appointed, 
of the Father. Now that's way different than me anointing with oil. Our confession of faith says it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus to be the mediator between God and man. So the Father chose the Son to be the mediator. He ordained him and confirmed that ordination by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the equipping of his, according to his human nature, by the Holy Spirit to fulfill his calling. This is a very unique anointing. This, the Christ is unique. There's only one of him. Notice that the catechism cites, if you can't notice this, but I'll tell you, Psalm 45, 7. Here's what it says. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. Psalm 45, very messianic psalm. We know with absolute certainty, by the way, that Psalm 45 spoke of the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, because the writer of Hebrews cites the same text, applying it to our Lord. That's Hebrews 1.9, if you want to look that up. It's fascinating. When the New Testament says, oh, by the way, and it goes and dips back into the Old Testament, says this was speaking about Jesus, it's right. So then we should go back there and go, Read it with Christological lens. Acts 10.38 is another text that asserts that our Lord was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So there is this endowment upon this one that we call Jesus, that's special, that's heavenly, that fully equips him to fulfill the unique vocation, the unique calling that he was given. It's one thing to be called as a carpenter. It's one thing to be called as... Uh, what else is there besides carpentry? A trash man, uh, an architect, okay? A mom, a, a mother, a father, those are vocations, callings. Husband, wife, single person. It's quite another thing to be called into service as the Messiah, as the Christ. And if you're really the Messiah or the Christ, then you better be furnished with everything necessary to accomplish your task, or else you're not the Messiah. So the good news is he was fully furnished to accomplish the task. This anointing, being furnished to accomplish the task, included the ability and responsibility to speak on behalf of God to men like none other before or after. Now my soul is troubled. You know, you get those really... Um, awe-inspiring words and perplexing words. Father, what should I say? Uh, Save me from this hour, but for this hour I've been appointed. Father, glorify your name. So you have the incarnate Son of God, according to his human nature, troubled and kind of, but then resolving, and yet you have him saying, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Son of God, according to his divine nature, always does divine things. It is of the essence of divinity to raise humanity from the grave. Therefore, the Son of God, according to his divinity, rose the Son of God, according to his humanity, from the grave. Special anointing of this special one. He was the chief prophet and teacher. 
Here's Acts chapter 3. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It's probably the Lord Jesus there. And that he may, well, it's the Lord God. And that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Here's Deuteronomy uh, 15 in Acts chapter 3. Deuteronomy 18. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed. That's Deuteronomy 18. And Peter in his sermon saying, That's speaking about Christ. Shall give heed to everything he says to you. This is my beloved son. Hear him and do what he says. Give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. What Moses and the prophets said would happen has happened. The prophets, Moses, Samuel, and the prophets after him all announced these days, that's the days just after the ascension in Pentecost. The prophets spoke about the days also in which we lived. Our Lord, the chief prophet and teacher, was announced as coming by the Old Testament and as having come by the New Testament as the Christ. He's going to come. He's come. How doth Christ executeth the office of prophet? Christ executes the office of prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. This is why it is important for us to hear Christ's word preached and often. It is through preaching that Christ extends his prophetic ministry as the Christ, as the anointed one, between the two comings of Christ. Um, my sheep, my sheep hear my voice. Did you hear it? No, not audibly right. Um, If indeed you have heard him, Ephesians 4. He came and preached peace to you, Ephesians 2, referring back to the Lord Jesus, preaching peace, the gospel, to the Ephesians. And yet while he was on the earth, he was never in Ephesus. So it must be that through the preaching of Paul and others, the Lord Jesus was speaking to his sheep And the Lord opened her heart, and she believed the things that Paul was speaking to her. Lydia, in the context, it's probably the Lord Jesus ascended. That's why we need to hear preaching is because you hear the the word of Christ. The anointed one is the great prophet promised in the Old Testament. Our Lord was also ordained and anointed the high priest, and all the priestly actions and... Uh, of the Old Testament are, are typological of the great priest's action in not only 
giving his life up, the oblation, but also the intercession. He's going to give his life as a ransom for many and pray for the peoples. He is a priest uh, who offers himself up. He never had to offer sacrifices on his behalf first so he could get cleansed in order to do his priestly work, right? He just does his work as priest, and it includes, uh, of course, a sacrifice, high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Um, Our Lord Jesus not only offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sin once for all, but he also continually makes intercession to his father for us. So there's the two primary priestly acts. He offers oblation, sacrifice, himself, and he offers prayer, intercession, on our behalf. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession uh, for them, Hebrews 7.25. He offers himself as a sacrifice for us, oblation, and he prays for us, intercession. This is what priests do, and we have the priest of all priests. Priests offer up a sacrifice on behalf of the people they represent before God, and they pray for them in light of the offered sacrifice. But the old priests had to keep doing that over and over and over and over again, which was a constant reminder that the blood of bulls and goats does not take away the guilt of our sins. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. That's why there's no more need for priesthood, no more need for physical priests with physical sacrifices. Our Lord was ordained and anointed as prophet, priest, and king, the Christ, the anointed one, the fully equipped one, the perfectly and fully equipped one to do what no other called person has ever been called to do, and that is... Uh, act as prophet, priest, and king on behalf of others, even though many and most people, while you're acting as prophet, priest, and king on the earth, did not recognize you as such. Do that, you'll be glorified, you'll be rewarded, and you'll see your seed, and your, your day will prosper in the good hand and by the good hand of our Lord. Now, That's why he's called the Christ, the anointed one. Prophet, priest, king, fully equipped to do everything he was called to do. He was called to bring many sons to glory, and against all enemies and all odds, he's going to do it. Nobody can stop him. I almost said it. Try as they might. Try as you might. Don't try. Just repent and believe, you know. Here's one more question very quickly from the catechism. But why are you called a Christian? Because through faith, I am a member of Jesus Christ and partaker of his anointing that both I may confess his name and present myself unto him a living sacrifice of thankfulness and also may in this life fight against sin and Satan with a free and good conscience and afterwards enjoy an everlasting kingdom with Christ. What an answer. Partaking of Christ's anointing means that all believers share in the benefits of his having been anointed. 
So he's in the state of having been anointed, he was anointed, did his work, and that we share in the effects produced by his anointing, the benefits of redemption. We don't earn them, we don't deserve them, we get them. A faith is not meritorious. Faith isn't a work in that sense. Do this, believe, and live. It's not one of those do this and live kind of things. It's believe this and live. All the doing is done by another. So we have to confess his name. We have to praise him. We have to present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice of thankfulness. That's Romans 12.1, right? Therefore, therefore. No, Romans 12.1 is a good verse. It says Romans 12.1. It says, therefore, because of the mercies of God or something like that, present your bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, so the mercies of God, the mercies that come from God through sinners, what are they? Read the book of Romans. God's done this, God's done this, God's done this, God's done this, God's done this. Therefore, what I, oh, in the last verse of Romans 11, from him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever, what should I do? Therefore, give yourself away, basically. It's living sacrifice of, of thankfulness. So, sharing in his anointing means receiving the benefits that he brings having been anointed and having uh, served our, our cause during his life on the earth. So, well, may that help us understand intelligently what we mean by Christ, the anointed one, the fully equipped one to do whatever God called him to do, bring many sons to glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this uh, time to think through what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, prophet, priest, king, fully equipped, certainly in his deity, but also in his humanity, to perform whatever deeds were necessary for the redemption of his people, for the salvation of his elect seed, given to him before the world began. These are great mysteries, but they're revealed in Scripture, and we want to bathe our souls in them, and now want to take the supper together, those of us who have repented and believed and been baptized, and we ask for your blessings on it. In Jesus' name, amen.